this is Baked and Bookish with your hosts, Maggie Boyer. And Savannah Cruz. We are the podcast where we get really, really baked and talk about books. Sometimes our least favorite books, sometimes our favorite favorite books. This book was pretty damn good. I had to take off some points for a couple things we will talk about, but overall, it was really, really great. We will do some spoilers. We will swear. We will talk about sex. We will talk about smoking. We will smoke. If you do not like that, go ahead and kick rocks barefoot. Exit stage left. If you do, go ahead and give us a rating leave us a little review it tickles my heart every time I read one it makes my little heart so warm (laughs) Uh, yeah I literally screenshot them all and send them to Savannah and we just cry about it so uh, definitely make us cry Uh, we would love that yeah we love you guys very much thank you for keeping us going this week we read Cannabis Manifesto A New Paradigm for Wellness by Steve D'Angelo which was your recommendation for the season right one of them it was it was I picked this book because I read it a couple years ago I think and it really enlightened me on my cannabis use and really you know made me more intentional and also alleviated a lot of guilt and stress I have about it and I you know talk with my therapist all the time about my cannabis use and stuff and things like that and you know we talked about this book and I just I feel like anybody who smokes should read this book and anybody who knows someone who smokes should read this book which as we find from this book is pretty much everyone yeah you either know someone who smokes or you smoke in which case you probably know people who smoke if you smoke yeah. Well, <laughs> there's a little Venn diagram. <laughs> there is. A, that's, that's exactly what that's it is. That's what it is. That that's is. what it is. So, Max, what's our wheat pairing for this book today? Well, he did make the joke at one point that, like, you know, you shouldn't just be sitting on the couch taking dabs till you pass out. And, and we last... all know that guy in high school that would do that. Right? Oh, my God. You're literally talking about beep. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or beep. Uh-huh. <laughs> so many people but then last week I started my period and I was in too much pain to pack a bowl for my endometriosis and I literally grabbed my little like dab electric dab rig thing and was just hitting dabs like every half hour and for like two days three days straight and I was high off my ass and then I thought about the book and I was like oh god I'm taking dabs till I pass out on the couch and then I was like wait I also can't walk today so I think Steve D'Angelo would be okay with it and so I thought it was kind of funny I thought it would be really hilarious for then us to take a little dabby dab (laughs) I love that I also brought just like a small thing for this podcast because I thought I would just bring the sativa strain that I generally get from my favorite hemp store which is where I get my THCA cannabis yeah so basically we have all of the weed like we always do yeah we're, (laughs) we're set we're stacked we're ready gotta represent the local weed industry I feel like Steve D'Angelo would be into that he would be into that he really would and we're just gonna go ahead and get into it he talks as well yeah he talks a lot about how cannabis isn't harmful it's prohibition that's harmful and I strongly agree actually there's another book that I read that is a little more politically charged (laughs) can you imagine Uh, (laughs) a little more politically charged than this one and it is uh the end of policing and Mm -hmm. it talked a lot about how a lot of gangs and a lot of 
people on the streets who carry guns do so because our police carry guns and they need to keep themselves safe as they're trying to make ends meet through capitalism and sell weed to all the people who need weed like you know and people to get their medicine and you know I, I don't agree with gangs and things like that but I also know that it's one of the few places people can find community when they're in really hard times and so I get it and I think that Steve D'Angelo gets it and he knows that prohibition is making that worse yeah. And it makes more guns on the street. It makes more people in prisons. It wastes our tax dollars. It's just, like, so many things. So, it really, prohibition is what's harmful. Yeah, absolutely. I remember there was, like, an anecdote, I think, in this first chapter here about how police resources were used to, um, like, search a dispensary who was doing things the legal way, but because it wasn't, like, federally, you know, sanctioned and stuff, they were able to do that. Meanwhile, I think it was, like, in the same town. They- it literally. They had a shooting, right? Yeah, in a school. In a school. It's like... And the cops were... They did say that the cops' time to respond was delayed by the raid. Yep. By federal investigators. And that is obviously a very exaggerated version of, like, what... Every day. ...happens every day. It's like we're prioritizing what over the good of the community. And I think that since this book was published... When was this published? 2015, I believe. 2015, okay. So he talks a lot about, like, some of the statistics he has will be outdated before the book is even published because the lay of the land with cannabis is constantly changing. Which totally makes sense. That was the only thing that was, like, kind of reassuring about the whole thing, though, because I am able to go and get the cannabis that I need for my own wellness routine. At the store. Legally and locally. And I love that that's becoming more and more regular. I think that it's a great start. Obviously, we have a lot of things. I wish that he would do, like, a re-release with a foreword. That would be very, very um, interesting to me because I would like to know how his views have developed and changed and how he feels about it. We should petition him to do it for the 10-year anniversary of the book or something. (gasps) That would be so cool. I would would love that. It would be. He talks a lot about how cannabis should never have been made illegal, and I I strongly agree. This kind of coincides with a different chapter that we list later in the book, but that I want to talk about now. Cannabis never should have been made illegal because it wasn't the cannabis they wanted to make illegal. It was the people who were using it. Yes! After, you know, several years of farming hemp and things in the Americas and in the colonies, America continued its racist policies and was like, wow, a ton of Hispanic people, you know, smoke marijuana. And they're bringing it to the white population and teaching them about the smoking of the marijuana and not just, like, hemp sales. Because, guys, the Mayflower was made from hemp sales. Like, come on. (laughs) Like, everybody's used cannabis forever. And, you know, Hispanic people taught white people that they could smoke the cannabis and get physically better. Like, get cures to ailments. And, you know, our nice... Bureau of Narcotics and Prohibition of Alcohol and things like that was coming to an end, and they wanted another way to push some sort of prohibition and arrest a bunch of people still, and especially BIPOC people and Hispanic people, and so they made cannabis illegal to be able to do that. Totally, and as well, the uh, hippies, the quote-unquote hippies that didn't want to go to Vietnam, those were big smokers, Yeah, that was another uh, layer layer to how they were going to police this, how they were going to get people who were in oppositional places Mm -hmm. to bow down. So basically, 
hemp was legal for a while, and then cannabis was legal as a medicine and sold by doctors. Then they taxed the shit out of cannabis for a while, and so no doctors prescribed it anymore because it was so expensive for them to prescribe. Then they made it illegal in the 30s in response to alcohol becoming legal again. And then, like Savannah was saying, Nixon went ahead and was like, mm, I don't like you hippies. Let's go ahead and just, like, ramp up the war on drugs even harder. Yes! So it just, it just spiraled. And it has been out of control since. And, you know, I really don't think that we're in that much better of a place. Like, I really, it's awesome you can go to the store and buy hemp, and that's amazing. But at the same time, we are still having raids on legal dispensaries. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) You know? And so... And if I was not financially fit i wouldn't be able to afford legal weed yeah like you have to be very able to accommodate the prices Mm -hmm. because they make you pay for the right for it to be legal yeah and the the tax it higher and all sorts of things so basically cannabis never should have been made illegal it never should have been made illegal because we've always known that it was a medicine we have literally always known Chinese practitioners used it. It was used in ancient Egypt. Like I said, it was used for rope and it was used for the rough draft of the, the Declaration of Independence. So we always knew it could be useful and we always knew it was medicine. And then Harry Enslinger, you know, your boy Harry, <laughs> he was like, I want a promotion, basically. He was like, I want to keep my job. So he went hard at trying to say the cannabis is awful for your health. It causes psychosis. It causes insanity. It causes, you know, bouts of rage. It causes cancer. It makes you sick. All of these things. And none of it was true. So the mayor of New York, he was like, hey, New York School of Medicine, how about you study cannabis for me? And they did. And they came up with a really, really, like the first comprehensive in-depth report on cannabis. And they found it does none of those things. They were like, bro, it's really actually good for you, but it definitely doesn't cause all of these, like, really ill effects. Right. And our government also wanted to prove that it causes cancer to smoke weed, and they couldn't. So they would, like, commission all these, like, studies to study if it caused cancer, and they kept finding that it shrunk cancer cells. Yeah, that's what people keep trying to tell me whenever I, like, have mentioned that I smoke weed. People will try to tell me that that doesn't make sense. No, it won't. I was like... And, okay, like, smoking anything isn't great for the health of your lungs. Right, but if you're keeping your piece nice and clean, you're using glass, you're going through water, like... You're getting good cannabis that doesn't have pesticides on it. Exactly. You're reducing as much as you can the impact of the smoke, and it's not going to cause cancer. Right, and I ain't got the money to be eating edibles all the time. Right? That's also why I love this little, like, dab pen, because it's like a vaporizer, and Grant has, like... It tastes really good. It hits very clean. Yeah, it's really nice. And my fiancé has, like, a vaporizer for herb, too, but I like bong. Yeah. (laughs) I don't really care. My lungs are shot from a decade of smoking cigarettes. Five years clean, but they're they're still shot, so it's okay. Right. (laughs) I'm fighting the cancer that the cigarettes gave me by smoking weed. You know? There you you go. (laughs) Actually, also speaking of, I smoke weed for endometriosis pain. And actually, they've found that 7 out of 10 endometriosis warriors smoke weed to manage. Which tracks to me because I'm thinking (laughs) of all the people that I know with endo and I'm like, yeah. We all smoke. smoke. (laughs) (laughs) You bitches have the highest tolerance of anyone I know. We smoke. (laughs) 
So actually what was so funny about that is I was on my period when I got my GJ tube and I was in the hospital and I couldn't smoke weed because I was in the hospital and I was like begging for pain meds all the time and guys I don't take pain meds on the regular because they make me feel weird. I don't like them. I, I just don't I don't do it. Uh, no shame at anybody who does. They just don't jive with me and I was literally like hours before I was allowed my next dose like hey please can you give me more nausea meds? Can you give me more pain meds? Can you give me more this, more this, more this. And it wasn't withdrawal, guys. It was literally like my illnesses were flaring up because I wasn't able to smoke weed. And right. like the medicines that they gave me did not touch it the way that weed does. And it doesn't take it away from me anymore because my symptoms are so severe, but it massively helps. <laughs> it was um, really funny. I love that. Yeah. So I really think it's great for wellness versus being an intoxicant. And I love all of the things he says about it. Like, I think you love some of the things he says about it, too. Yeah, that was the most impactful for me specifically, like, in the way that I live my life and the paradigm that I have seen my cannabis use through. This Choose Cannabis for Wellness, Not Intoxication chapter. So on page 65 of our copy of the book that we were using, he says, Cannabis has a wide range of unique benefits that are frequently overlooked or mistakenly characterized as getting high. These include its ability to extend patience and promote self-examination, to awake a sense of wonder and playfulness, and openness to spiritual experience, to enhance the flavor of a meal, etc., facilitate friendship, bridge human differences. I just love that whole paragraph. It just made me shift and think, because I had always like framed it as like, I'm generally just getting high. Like, mm-hmm. That's what I always thought about my own use, but now I'm starting to think about it as is it how I unwind after work does it help my muscles feel better does it help me come in wanting to eat dinner with my family and wanting to spend time with them rather than going straight to bed like does it make me enjoy life more yeah totally does you're more present because of it and I loved when he was like you know you it enhances the flavor of your food if you're really like being mindful and like I want to live a mindful life and so it's it's really beautiful that he's like oh it makes me more mindful of the time I spend with my loved ones of the the food I'm eating and the things I'm doing yeah totally I mean I just know that whenever me and a partner drink together like if I was in a partnership and we were drinking together there was like no mindfulness at all versus like whenever we would smoke together it would be like oh why don't we make art like why don't we connect in a more deep way you know let's listen to a record and puzzle or something you know there's all these different things that we could do I think he mentions it if not I read it somewhere else researching for this book but couples that smoke together are more likely to like stay together and that doesn't mean that every couple that smokes together I mean I've smoked with other people I've been with so like that doesn't that doesn't mean like you're gonna be perfect but like married couples that smoke together and married is not like the end all be all either guys so like you know think like you know I'm just I'm talking about the quote and the study that he looked at um but specifics of the study yeah so married couples were shown to have like a lower divorce rate if they smoked together I think that's really interesting. In Winston, the Dabble Art Bar, I just went the other day. It's an amazing space. It's a creative space where you go to connect with each other while doing something like coloring or clay or collaging. And you get to sit and do that with your friends rather than going out and drinking. It's like this intentional version of community. And I tend to see a lot of people that use cannabis in those types of unique spaces where we're creating art together, where we're, you know, sharing that experience. So... 
Anyway, if you're in the Triad area or if you ever come to Winston, definitely check out Dabble Art Bar. They are so cool. Not They're sponsored. Not sponsored. <laughs> I was their first uh, customer that wasn't family or friend. So I was pretty hype about that. Happy to represent. That's so, so cute. Aw, support local businesses. See cannabis connecting, connecting and strengthening local communities right now. Yes, exactly. I'm not just so excited because I'm really stoned now, guys. Yeah, I was about to say, this is like a very nice high. It's I'm a great high. I love this thing. I'm a dork for like cannabis products, guys. And like, like specifically like glass and like ways of consuming cannabis. And yeah, yeah. I just. I want a volcano next. Oh my god, I want a volcano so bad. I want a volcano so bad. Oh my god. Anybody want to send us a volcano and we'll do a review? (laughs) (laughs) We will like Uh, smoke exclusively with that for like a whole damn season, guys. Yeah, we'll reference it by name every time that we do the weed pairing. (laughs) We'll just put different strains in. (laughs) Look, it's strengthening our community right now, guys. Strengthen it. Give us a volcano. Send this to the volcano creators and get them to send us one. Yeah, I don't know who we need to get in contact with that has these volcanoes, but But, uh... we're going to find them. (laughs) I also wanted to reference that in this uh, wellness chapter, I thought it was a really interesting thought that, like, how our Puritan values are, like, guiding how we see cannabis use because my the culture surrounding, like, my cannabis use, the only thing that's negative is that people feel like it's an intoxicant. Like, I'm getting, like, you wouldn't get drunk every day. Mm-hmm. Why are you getting high almost every day? Well, every day. <laughs> every day. This depends on the person. Yeah, and it's like, but pleasurable things don't have to be immoral. Literally, they, they don't. They don't. And Everybody Harvard drinks do- coffee every day, and that's a stimulant. Every day people drink coffee. And I think that we need to, like, talk about how use fluctuates when you're being intentional like I smoke a lot more during my period than I do any other time because of my endometriosis but I still smoke every single day and I love what you say about like it's okay to have like pleasurable things people go running every day and get high on endorphins yes and people go and like you said drink coffee every single day and I know people who drink every day who don't consider themselves to have a drinking problem right right. and who just have like wine at dinner or whatever But it's like, it's the same thing, and it's just because of how we've structured our view of it. And I mean, we've really structured our view incorrectly of it. We skew it to being this thing that you hide. I love when he talks about, like, it ingrains lying in us. Yes. Because parents are lying to their kids about smoking. Kids are lying to their parents about smoking. The government is lying to us about it being bad for us. Yeah. And it's like as soon as you realize that most studies show that it is not bad for you and that the government is lying about that, you start to question what the government also is lying about. And he falls on the side of like trying to better the government. I fall on kind of a different end of the spectrum. Um, You know, um, I'm a little more, uh, I'm an abolitionist. I don't believe in policing and he wants money to go towards better policing. But I still think that better policing is better than what we have now. Yeah, yeah. And it ingrains this lying in us of our teachers are lying to us. We're lying to our teachers. Our, our boss is lying to us. I mean, I had a boss that was buying weed from me at one point. Right. Like, 
Well, I just think that it also develops, like, a practice of its own. It becomes a ritual. Like, I've become very interested in rituals as of late and, like, the power that they have in our world. And my culture, the way that I was socialized, not many rituals. It was something that I ached for. And now I come home and I walk through my garden. And we demonize certain kinds of rituals and praise others. And I think that's what's the issue is, like, communion is a form of ritual. Right. And praying is a form of ritual. And that is seen as an okay form of ritual, but setting up an altar isn't. And I do both. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't understand. And cannabis can be part of your ritual and can be part of your wellness routine. Like, you wash your face every day, you pack your bong every day. Right. I mean, and not everybody is going to need it every day, and so that's why intentional use is important. But right. as much as you need it and listening to yourself and being honest with yourself, and I think we demonize so many forms of rituals because they're associated with BIPOC mm. and yeah. people of color and this plant was demonized and was made illegal because it was connected to Hispanic people. Right, to indigenous like communities. Yeah. You know, like- and still to this day, you know, one in three black men will be put into the system at some point. Right. He talks about that in this book. One That's in three. Horrible. And cannabis arrests are disproportionately black people and cannabis use is equal among all races yeah in all studies and it's like a ridiculous like 13 14 15 sometimes 30 times as common for a black person to be arrested versus a white person and i mean i hold that privilege like i have that privilege and you know there's nothing i can do about the color of my skin but i can support causes like the last prisoners project that steve d'angelo actually started but i didn't even hear about it through this book i've like known about that for a while and it does really great work trying to get all people who are in jail on cannabis charges to be free because no one deserves to be in jail but also absolutely but it goes even beyond jail because then if you have a record you can't work in the cannabis industry so the people who have for the longest time in history like hundreds of years cultivated cannabis suddenly can't be a part of the legal industry and make the millions that steve d'angelo does have which is why i'm glad he started things like the last prisoner project because he's making millions and he's he's recognizing it i'm not demonizing him i'm demonizing the system that allowed that to happen Right. You know? And I thought that it was amazing, like, going into the chapter about how cannabis reform doesn't harm communities, it strengthens them. Like, how he personally, like, in his dynamic of his dispensary was like, okay, how do we oh, how I do love. we take care of our community right now in this way? What I, the hell? That I, was so cool! I literally want to move to wherever Harborside is, yes. the dispensary he has, because they have, like, a, a dietitian, a yoga person, an acupuncture person, like, all on their site for free for their patients. Mm-hmm. And they have, like, low-cost and, like, free care for that stuff, but also they have cannabis programs for people who can't pay for cannabis as well. Right, like sliding scale mm-hmm. situations, which help so many so many access care yeah like that's how i get all of my health care and it's incredible that some dispensaries are doing that for their patients and so you know i think it's about equity in this situation and we would be remiss to talk about cannabis and talk about the history of cannabis without bringing this up so there will be a link to the last prisoners project in the show notes 
so definitely go check it out go support them if you can follow them but also like give to them like that's the best thing we can do so because like i've savannah and i come from a place that um has a lot of hard drug use we've seen how cannabis can be a harm reduction like we so often demonize it but it also like can help people with withdrawal from narcotics and alcohol It, it like harm reduction is the goal like we can't just take people who are in chronic pain off of opioids and not give them something for their pain like that is irresponsible but if cannabis can help them with their pain that's harm reduction some people would view it as like oh it's still drug use and it's illegal drug use versus opioids are legal and that's why we just need decriminalization that goes into cannabis should be taxed and regulated as a wellness product not as a drug like he right. doesn't. He doesn't want it to be like on the shelves of like Whole a Walmart. Foods. Yeah, you like know? you know, it's not going to be the easiest thing to access, but it shouldn't be Schedule Three or whatever, right? Because it's just it's just so frustrating. So, guys, what's so funny is he mentions one of the drugs. This is so off topic. This like goes back to the whole beginning of the book, but I think it's so funny. So he talks about how Schedule One drugs means that it has no medicinal value and is highly addictive. And cannabis is currently a Schedule One drug. But the U.S. government also holds a patent for synthetic cannabis, which I have a prescription for Dronabinol, which is synthetic cannabis. And I take it during flares. My doctor literally prescribes me THC that the government creates and makes and profits off of because they know it's a medicine and then on the opposite end they say it has no medicinal value and then it's highly addictive and then they want to drop it down to like ketamine oxycodone and stuff like that but I think most advocates want it decriminalized Steve D'Angelo's brother said like oh we don't support recreational weed he kind of clears that up in this book he doesn't think it should be considered like recreational and medical and this that and the other he thinks it should just be decriminalized like most advocates and taxed as an adult use product something that only adults can use but it's just adult use like the adult can choose how to use it yeah (laughs) like (laughs) mind-blowing revolutionary that an adult could choose what to put in their body I know. I know. I know. So, uh, he kind of boofed when he said that. He kind of <laughs> boofed. <laughs> um, Gotta be but, but, I, he, he and I both support decriminalization of cannabis instead of rescheduling of right. cannabis because that's just a whole mess. Right. And legalization, that's gonna happen. Yeah, I mean, it's, we're at, like, over half the states have some form of cannabis legal. And all states, you can get dronabinol if your doctor, it's still a controlled substance, so you really have to talk to your doctor about it, guys. Don't, like, listen to me. I'm just, like, saying that it exists. Right, I'm just saying that it exists and that it helps me specifically. (laughs) Yep. So, legalization's gonna happen, and I think we'd be remiss, like, to, like, not let everybody out on cannabis charges. Like, it's a social justice movement. So much could change if we legalized cannabis or decriminalized cannabis that could shift the wealth of this country, as long as we allow people to participate in the market, even if they have a record of cannabis in the past. Right. So, I mean, it it could be a big game changer. And barring BIPOC from cannabis legalization and from the legal market will only strengthen illegal markets. So it's really silly for them to not give licenses to any competent grower. (laughs) Also, it's like a climate change thing. 
like hemp filters the air better than trees do. Mm-hmm. I think it's like something like 40 times better. It's like massively better, guys. Wow. And that's why I support outdoor growing. I know that like indoor weed is so pretty and controlled, but it is harmful for the environment. Yeah. So like outdoor grow is good for the environment because totally. we're actually going to be filtering the air instead of polluting it. So, ah, it could just be, like, so amazing for climate change as well. And so, you know, we want as many people being able to grow as possible then. And so I want anyone who's a competent grower to get a license because I think everyone should at least then have some hemp plants growing. Sure. It won't be stopped. It's going to keep going. He, we should definitely try and get him to write, like, a new forward for the 10-year anniversary or something. I don't know if we could do anything about that, guys. I'm just, I'm just high and spitballing here. <laughs> just trying to <laughs> fantasize about that. Right? Uh, I think that that would be really cool just because I would want to know, like, his reflections on how things have changed, how far we've come, but also how far we have to go, any, like, directions, like, from his perspective, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I think it really shifted my views on my use. I read it several years ago and I knew we had to read it for this podcast because it really enlightened me on my own use and made me be more critical of myself and not in a self-critical negative way, but just in a like, hey, be intentional, but also use as much as you need at any given point. Right, exactly. You know, and so it really, it was so life-changing in that regard was Paradigm Shift Book. I loved that about it. I loved that about it. Well, obviously we can't do Seshbuck Kill in the traditional way where we use characters from the book because they're real, like... People? (laughs) People that are like, you know, I I don't know. That's just not our vibe. That's not what this is for. So we're gonna kind of go with, like, historical figures Yes. I think we're going to go with historical figures. Whether or not they're stoners, I, you know, some of them are, some of them aren't, and some of them we don't know, but just historical figures we would in theory sesh with fucking kill. Savannah, who, who would you? So, I'm session with Audrey Lord. Oh my Good gosh. One. I listened to a podcast that had, like, samples of her speaking on it, and I just immediately, like, looked up more of her speeches and more of her writing. I would love to... To pick her brain and be in the same room. Next, I'm going to pick to fuck Angela Davis. That's a bad bitch. That is a bad bitch. That's a bad bitch right there. I love her writing and yeah, it's attractive. Oof. And then I'm killing Nixon, obviously, because he's the whole reason that things have escalated this far as they have in the past. It's just unfortunate. Nobody yeah. likes Nixon. Nobody likes Nixon. I think that Futurama is really funny when they have Nixon on there. Oh my god. You know what? I'm <laughs> glad he was alive for that. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we can kill him now. Yeah. <laughs> We're good. That's right. Uh, all right. What about you? I would definitely sesh with Bell Hooks. We're going to be reading All About Love by Bell Hooks during our bonus episode this season. And I just, that book was also a paradigm shift for me. And so many quotes of hers have stuck with me for years now. And I want to hear all her thoughts because she's just brilliant beyond brilliant. I would totally fuck Billie Holiday. She was absolutely so wrongfully targeted by the U.S. government for talking about white supremacy and singing about it and just absolutely demonized, but she was a bad bitch and she was gorgeous and her voice was gorgeous and yeah, I, I need I say more. Right, right. <laughs> need I say more. Musicians are sexy. <laughs> uh, need I say more. 
So, it's going in that same vein, then I would kill Harry Enslinger, who definitely led the charge against Billie Holiday and was, you know, the director of narcotics and alcohol prohibition and cannabis prohibition. And he led a really racist attack on her. So, you know, and against many, many, many Americans. So, I would definitely kill him. I don't think that that's any surprise. Steve D'Angelo talks a lot about him in the Cannabis Manifesto. So, if you want to know more about why I would kill him, definitely pick up this book. Savannah, what do you rate this book? I'm going to give it a solid four out of five. I feel like it was a paradigm shifting book. Like we talked about, it made me reframe my use. And I feel like that was very useful. Got like three points for that. And then one extra point for being like amazing and going into like the background and making me more knowledgeable about the facts and making me be able to be a better like advocate. I thought that that was a really great point. He had a few things that I didn't quite love. I also gave this a 4 out of 5 for the same reason. He used some language for different groups of people that I don't agree with, and he also used a slur at one point, and I don't like that at all. And he lost a solid point for that, and I still don't know how I feel about that. Um, I'm still having emotions about that, guys. So, um, yeah. But, again, it was, like, a brilliant... It made me think, regardless of him and who he is, it made me think about my use in new ways and it brought facts that I can bring up to people and plainly say like you know there's this many studies that are about the positives of cannabis versus this many negative studies there's this that and the other like it gave me so many exact facts that I can look up that won't change and then it made predictions for the future that we'll see what does and doesn't happen so yeah four out of five for me as well what are we reading next week we are reading becoming dangerous witchy femmes, queer conjurers, and magical rebels, which is an essay collection. It's perfect because right now, you know, we're recording, but we are in spooky season. Yes, we are solidly in September as we're recording this, which means my whole house is decorated in pumpkins. Yes, we are fully, fully immersed in the spook right now. Savannah even brought more spooky things for my spooky apartment because she knows I love decor. And now we have matching mugs for the pod for the rest of the season. So, you know, you guys aren't going to be getting these until like November, December, January, but we're just extending your spooky season. That's right. That's right. We just want to share our enthusiasm with you, but we're also really responsible and we want to have our stuff done. next week um follow us on instagram at baked.and.bookish you can follow me at maggie.writes on instagram as well check out my books and everything there and we can't wait to see you next week bye bye love you guys love you. <laughs>